So y'all got a little basketball podcast, huh? Oh, yeah. This is the Haber Show. We have great ambitions for this podcast, Renee. I believe it. I heard I'm going to be tapping in with you guys every so often. Mm-hmm. That's the plan. I'm with it. That was always the plan, Renee, but you, you're such a busy person. Yeah. I mean, why don't we just start here is, I think you already have like 16 different titles, but I, I think we have to <laughs> add another one is venture capitalist, Renee Montgomery. Yeah. So, you know, join the squad at Valor Ventures as a general partner, which a lot of people ask me like, how in the world does that make sense? But for me, everything came back to money. you know like listen even when i was trying to become a co-owner of the atlanta dream we needed some money honey and so everything in the women's basketball space things would be done better if we had more sponsorship things would be done better if we had more money so all the problems with minorities receiving money women receiving money it's venture capital now and so that's where we at with it then if that's where it's at that's where we at yeah mean likes to say that the biggest advantage in sports is having a great ownership like that's where it all begins and so it's part of the same thing right i mean yeah it's the whole that's the whole point right if you look at why your favorite team is bad more often than not (laughs) it's because like their owners are messing up and that's why we see the same usual suspects be bad all the time and it takes so much to overcome that i'm not saying it's impossible phoenix is an example hey 10, 11 years of being bad, and now they're good. But look what it took. It took literally a generational player like Chris Paul to to change some of that stuff and to, to overcome some of that stuff. But the reality is the teams that we look at as, like, well-run and do the right thing, Miami and, and, and San Antonio and, and Golden State or whatever, like, these are the teams that do things the right way. They have good ownership. I'll put the Clippers in there. Um, and the teams that, that fuck up are, quite frankly, the teams that have ownership that don't know what they're doing. So Sacramento and, and you know, again, New York is another example. of They, they kind of just now overcoming yeah. what has been 20 years of, of terrible. But even then, it's not like we don't expect them to win a championship or anything. No, you know, that's true. And I mean, even a step further from ownership is management. You know, who do you hire? I think that that's that was one of the biggest things we wanted to do. Talking about like a GM, assistant GM, head coach, like it's all of that. And people players can do what the players can do. But I mean, you see it in football more even than basketball, where you had a guy like an Aaron Rodgers lord, but you had a guy like Aaron Rodgers who he wanted to be able to help recruit and make decisions because he wanted his team to be bomb. And so he wanted the front office to lean on him. And you even hear it with LeBron and the Lakers where people are like, yeah, LeBron runs the Lakers. But as a player, if you don't necessarily think that team management or team ownership is going to invest in the pieces that you want, yeah, it's going to it's gonna be tough. When you hire a coach, the guy who hires the coach or the person who hires the coach nine times out of 10 is a basketball person. And so, you know, the coaches that you've evaluated from afar, you see, think they're good. You know, the coaches that you've worked with in the past, you know, people in basketball who know coaches who can refer coaches to you. It comes from a place of an educated decision nine times out of 10. But when we talk about who hires management, yeah. Talk about an owner's making that hire. What do they know? 
They don't know anything. <laughs> they never, most well, of them, most of them never, never played, never been involved in the day to day, don't understand basketball. And so it leaves them at it like they're hiring a guy or a person who has impressed them in a in a interview who has brought materials right ooh it had a plastic sheet on it oh my god <laughs> it's so professional he had a powerpoint oh. none of that shit fucking matters <laughs> but it matters to the person hiring because they don't know any better so that place feels like a place of comfort no that's big facts that's big facts and even with me being a co-owner and vice president of the Atlanta Dream that's kind of what the point was the vice president part it was the okay I lived the sport, like talking about 10 years old when it became WNBA became a thing. I was 10 and I was like, oh, what? You mean to tell me I can like hoop hoop as my job? Like, I remember that. So I remember the history. I know the struggles. I know the brand, all of it. Mm -hmm. So if you think about how submerged I was in the sport, that's rare. Like to your point, what I am is rare in sports, which is kind of wacky. I say it all the time. Like, why aren't athletes progressing to the front office or progressing to mm -hmm. ownership you have to get invited into ownership and that's half the problem anyway but when you look at what happened with a, a kevin garnett and the timberwolves mm. like why would he not be the perfect fit for that i know that there's some backcourt story and some back history but i mean when i think of kevin garnett when i think of the timberwolves i think of kevin garnett and i think about you know if you talk about the top players there, he's going to be one of the ones mentioned. So why wouldn't you want him carrying that torch? And so that's, it's like, you can't get in unless you're invited. That's the real problem there. They haven't recovered from the KG era, right? Like they haven't the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's tough. I mean, they got cat down there. I mean, he's a generational superstars. We're talking, he's one of those guys. And you know, you have a timeline with those guys. Like how, what, again, what are you going to put around him? We know there's new, ownership coming in so maybe that's going to do something but good players don't want to be on bad teams like we watch swagger everybody that that tv show swagger and it's at the younger level but it's a real thing a superstar wants to be on a winning team renee i was wondering what's one thing that as a player you were surprised or unexpected factor or Something in as a, as an owner or a part owner and executive VP. What's something that as a former player, like, oh, that's how that works. Something that surprised you about that level in the organizational tree. I would say the fact that everything is controlled, like down to the tiers of players that you're going to promote in your promotional items. Like it's not necessarily, it's like things that are decided before the season. That's like, Oh wow. So it doesn't matter how you play. This stuff was already mapped out. And, you know, even in TV, you know, you'll see like, why are they keeping the same storylines? Well, it's because there was a rundown. There was a pre-production meeting before the game. There was a rundown before the game and there were storylines that were going to get hit. And, you know, you're taught as a journalist and as an analyst to let the game tell the story. But a lot of times people just rely on the stories that they already had planned out and the plans that they already had. So if you have a breakout star, you know, we've seen it, you know, in, in playoff in playoffs or finals advertisements. And they already kind of had those things cut out for who was going to be the star. And then you have a breakout star and everybody's like, well, why are you still promoting this person? Yeah, that was already in the rundown, baby. I, the game is great, but a lot of stuff people aren't fixing it on their feet. People aren't like quick on their feet to kind of adjust. It's storylines are already written. Renee, I know the uh, NBPA has kind of like a, a transition program of sorts where they, you know, guys who are in the league can start 
shadowing people and learning kind of the other side of the business as they get ready for what's next in their life. Is there something like that on the W side? I don't think there is. I know on the W side, there's the Harvard Business School crossover program, which kind of gets you acclimated to contracts and figuring out how to negotiate a deal way, whether it's good or bad and kind of weigh out the, oh, well, you can get equity, but you might have a lower cash point and kind of just breaking down things of that nature. You know, I attended the Harvard Business School and, and I thought that, that was great. You know, Flex. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, listen, I thought that that helped me a lot. So I think that that's, you know, that's something that the WNBA players do have there to do. But as far as like a mentoring program. I don't know, but it's somewhere we need to go. Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haberstrow. That's Amino Hassan. Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haberstrow. Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haberstrow. That's Amino Hassan. For those who don't know, Renee Montgomery is one of the best voices in the NBA, former WNBA champion. NCAA champion at UConn. Huskies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm weird. I'm from Connecticut, but I wasn't a UConn fan. I'm sorry. What's wrong with you? I know. You all right? Tom, you all right? <laughs> I was a UNC fan. It's weird. My grandparents were North Carolina, so I, I grew up wearing all the time. And you got a Wake Forest hat on. Yeah. Ugh, this is just terrible. She's, <laughs> I'm just, she's I'm just trying me to right say now. you can do better. It's all over the map. Wait, tell that to John Collins, okay? All Listen, I'll give you that. I'm just, I bleed blue, so you know what time it is over here. That's right. That's right. Well, I I went to Wake as part of like, I wanted to go to Carolina, but I couldn't get into Carolina out of state because as you as you mentioned, Harvard, it's like the hard, it's like harder than getting into Harvard out of state going to Chapel Hill. So I went to Wake. It was a great, uh, great college experience. I rep Wake Forest. We lost uh, last week to Clemson. I'm very upset about it. But you know what? <laughs> bygones be bygones. What I wanted to say Renee here is the Atlanta Hawks are winners of five okay. straight, the hottest team in the Eastern Conference right now. But they're still sitting like outside of that playing bracket there in the Eastern Conference. So, what do we make of this Atlanta Hawks team? What have you seen watching this team on camera every night? What is it about this Atlanta Hawks that is like a roller coaster season so far? Well, I think the first thing is that, like, even me as a fan, I was just kind of hoping that last season we pressed pause and when this season started, you just press play again and we're playing at that exact same level with the exact same team chemistry, team energy. But the player in me knows that that's not a reality. I don't care if you bring back the exact same team and it's a new season. That offseason, things change. You know, you got players whose family members or people in their circle are like, hey, man, you need to take some more shots. Like, y'all's team is good. Like, you need to make sure that you have a spot. Like, there's so many things that happen. Some people work on their game so much in the offseason that they come back and they want to do new things. So now you got to work in what's in their new package, in their new repertoire. And so basically what I'm saying is every season is different. And we found that out this season when we came back We still had our nucleus of players that you would expect, you know, all the usual suspects, but our chemistry wasn't there yet. Everything wasn't clicking as it should. We had players that were coming back from injury, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish. Now we got to get them into the lineup, get them some minutes. Lou Williams' minutes went down trying to get them minutes. So all that stuff, I say all that to say that that affects how a team plays. That affects the team chemistry. So 
we didn't have the luxury of having a schedule that was forgiving. We went out West and we was getting whooped. I mean, we was getting whooped left and right. We were playing a top five team every night and we didn't have a chance to kind of figure things out. And, you know, I had talked about it on take line. Jason asked me, well, what's going to, what's going to be like the, when you hit panic button, I'm like, I think we hit panic a little bit. I was (laughs) like, I think we hit the baby panic button. If after this road, this home stretch, we're not playing the set like the way that we know we play at home so i guess you know this five games in a row something about the a man it's tough to play in the a we have the fans are crazy there but we really do have to figure it out on the road the thing that really caught my eye and surprised me was earlier this season what trey young said with it being so early in the season do you find that it is difficult to sacrifice as much as you would in like the eastern conference finals for example yeah, and I think we're, we're guys are learning that, man. It's uh, we're we're no longer the hunters anymore, and and at the same time, it's it's regular season. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, it's a lot more boring than the playoffs. <laughs> I know. No, no. Why? How many years have you been in the league, bro? Why? <laughs> How many sixty win seasons have you had to the point where you're now bored with the regular season? Yeah. I was shocked. I get it. It was what twenty seven and eleven. After the All-Star break last year, and that's, that's good. That's great. But to the point where you could say you're bored of the regular season? Yo. That was tough to hear just because for obvious reasons. And I think that he probably understands that boring maybe isn't the word. Like, there's not that same excitement that there is in the playoffs, but boring wouldn't be. I mean, you got to think. He's young, a young player, and he yeah. was coming off of bowing to Madison Square Gardens. I mean, there, there doesn't get much more exciting than that. Spike Lee yelling on the sidelines. I mean, he had a crazy run in the playoffs, just to his defense. No, he shouldn't have said it, but his playoff run, think about 76ers fans. Think about, like, being able to silence those fans and then go on to New York Knicks fans and have that whole energy and be able to silence that crowd. And even our run with the Bucks, you know, it was it was it was crazy. I, you know, I was out there yelling. I thought I heard a hater say "Nuck if you buck." I was, we were turned up, <laughs> and so you know, like when you start to think about that that platform he was on, yeah, you do come down a little bit. But it's, it's not boring. Winning, winning is never boring. Renee, what's the time when you were a young player and you said something dumb that you look yeah. back on? And you're like, oh, damn, I can't believe I said that. What's something you thought and you weren't supposed to say it out loud? I think like just saying, I thought we should have won that way because you just don't say that after a game because you should if you should have won it you would have won it like in sports it's like nah they beat you even if you were the better team and even if you made mistakes you shouldn't have won it they outplayed you so I learned to not say we should have won that one because if you should have you would have so that's I, I learned that the hard way in film session when a coach will rip you apart and be like, oh, this is the game we should have won, so this is the shot we should have taken that would have helped us. You know, like, they break it down and make you feel real slow and real silly, and then you realize, yeah, 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 we shouldn't have run that game. Brianna, did he get on you after any, like, any, not a press conference, but, like, something you told the media or a reporter where he brought you in and was like, hey, can we just pipe down next time? Like, let's not talk. (laughs) I actually haven't had that problem, but I'll tell you what. I've had film sessions at UConn are very humbling. And I mean, even after a win, those are the worst ones. I'll tell you the film sessions after a win are the worst film sessions because he don't want you to feel like you're on a high horse. And so you'll think that you won by, you know, 20 points. We sitting pretty and you start chopping up that game film and it's ugly. You know, there's, you get lazy, you start doing, you start feeling yourself in the lead and make a crazy, terrible pass. So 
I've been I've been in a lot of heat hot seats. I would say at UConn, it's just it's it's the nature of the business. I was gonna say like, I mean, you guys won almost every game you play, right? Correct. So how do you keep it from not being boring? Yeah. <laughs> if you had been like or in the locker room with Trey Young and you hear him say something like that, you coming from a tradition of where like all we do is win. Literally, like the the song is not just you a better. song. <laughs> like, it's not just a song. That's literally our way of life. How do you explain to a younger player? Yeah, that's you never get tired of this shit. This is how I always like to do it. Losing is the thing that you don't want to do. Winning is like the okay, we did our part. So when somebody told me it's boring, I would be like, so practice when we're getting yelled at is boring. Like you know, like one thing about athletes when you're losing the world is coming to an end. Like practice is terrible. The coaches are are mad. Everything is bad when you're losing. Like the vibes are bad. You traveling and it's just not the same energy. Coach ain't playing no games. You know what? As a matter of fact, y'all not wearing sweats. Wear regular clothes on the flight. Like I've been on teams like that where we can't even wear sweats now. We got to get dressed for the flight. Like, so that stuff doesn't get boring. So I, you know, for young players, it's different because I really do consider myself like raised in the old school mentality. So young players, the thing that motivated me, like what motivated me was I don't want to look crazy on the court, but that's not really the case for young players anymore. That ain't enough. Like they need to, like, you need to like, yeah, your clip going to go viral, bro. Like you better get it together. You're going to end up on a poster. Like, you know, like you got to like talk to the new school different. And I think that's what I would do. I'd be like, are you like you feeling these practices getting yelled at? You feeling the vibes? Like, let's change it. When the moment for intimacy arrives, you need to be ready. Roman ready. Whether you've been in a relationship for years or you're just getting started, having confidence that comes from preparation means you're free to enjoy the moment when the moment comes. Even though you're far from ordinary, the truth is that ED is really common. In fact, 52% of guys aged 40 to 70 experience some form of erectile dysfunction. So here's what I need you to do. Go to GetRoman.com slash Habershow, H-A-B-E-R-S-H-O-W, right now and go speak to a U.S. licensed healthcare professional about erectile dysfunction. And guess what? We'll get you $15 off your first month of treatment. ED is a lot more common than people think. You know, as I said, 52% of guys between 40 and 70 will experience some form of ED. Roman Ready is confidence personified. It's a self-assurance that comes from knowing you prepared yourself for the moment intimacy arrives. Roman system is confidential, totally discreet. There's no big logos or labels on the packages. And with Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for erectile dysfunction all from the comfort and privacy of your home. It works really easy. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. And if medication is appropriate, it ships you free with two-day shipping. Straightforward, convenient, discreet. That's how I would describe this process. And it's real easy for you. All you got to do is go to GetRoman.com slash Habershow and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving your home, folks. Go to GetRoman.com slash haber show again that's h-a-b-e-r-s-h-o-w if you're prescribed you'll get 15 dollars off your first month of ed treatment make sure you're ready to have confidence and control this fall roman ready yo quick question tom 
If I ask you how many games you think Renee lost in college? Four years. In four years, how many games do you think she lost? I'm going to say... Because I know R- Renee knows off the top of her head. Like, there's no chance. I have no idea. For real? I actually think he... I think he's going to say below. I would just guess that. I'm going to say 15. Renee, you think you lost 15 games in college? No, I don't know. That sounded like a lot. I don't know, but... <laughs> I mean, because if you think every... 15? 15, that means five. Like, okay, so that means like three... Like, how many games we talking about? 15, that's about three point something games a year. Oh, that's not terrible. But yeah, it's like four or five games a year. That feels, okay, that feels comfortable. 11. Hey. Oh, okay. Hey. That's not bad, but I felt hey. 15 felt high. 15 sounds high as hell, especially when you consider like your freshman year, y'all lost five. Yeah, that was terrible. I can remember that year. It was the dumps. Like the whole year. It was like, we lost, lost five, five times. <laughs> we lost five games. It was the dumps. It was the dumps. Like, that's what I mean by it was just like the vibes aren't good if you're losing games. Like, what are we doing losing five games? Even when you say that, I'm like embarrassed a You lost bit. once a month. Once a month. And you said it was the dumps. Yeah, what are we doing? Like, tighten up. Like, you, like <laughs> stop talking about it. I'm embarrassed. Like, can we get to my, my other years? Five games is a lot. Sophomore year, y'all lost four, four times. Okay, getting better. Junior year, you lost twice. Okay. What happened though? Senior year, undefeated. Okay, that's more like it. I'm just saying, like, that's where it felt right. Trending in the right direction. Yeah. This is, Renee, this is, this is where you take credit. You're like, see, as they gave me more responsibility, <laughs> and we had done this from the beginning. <laughs> you know what? It sounds nice, but I was a captain, like, always. So there's that. I was a captain since I stepped in there, so it's tough. Wait, 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 wait. You were captain your freshman year? No, I was a captain my sophomore, junior, senior. Damn. I was a starter my freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. So if you starting, then you, you know what I mean? You can't really dish off the responsibilities if you out there in the trenches. I can't, yeah, like, basically I'm taking responsibility for the five, the four, the two, and then the zero was my teammates because real talk, they wasn't going to let me leave without one. Imagine leaving UConn without a championship. Like, what would that Ooh, be like? Does that exist? Life isn't worth living at that point, yeah. <laughs> Is there a UConn person who went to college four years there and walked away Great without question. a championship? Like since Rebecca Lobo. Post-Dynasty, I, I, you know what I mean? Because I have to say, like, when he first got there, he was building the program. But once the program became the program... Since Rebecca Lobo. I didn't that, want that, to be the person. You see, like, the fact that you're asking this trivia question, I didn't want to be the answer to Tom Trivia, all right? I didn't, I didn't want that. <laughs> Hell! <laughs> yes! Here's how it goes. Like, they, they won their first one in 95, and then uh-huh. there was a drought from 95 to 2000. Uh-oh, I know who came in there in 2000. Then... 2002, 2003, 2004. Then there's a drought, 2004 to 2009. That's here. Yeah, that's me. Listen, you're talking about my years. Yeah. You see? Yeah. Like that's. We're the same age. But you won in 2009, though. Exactly. But the drought was 2005 to 2009. So the the seniors, your junior year, they were the ones that didn't win. Oh. A year ahead of you. So whoever was a year, uh, the class ahead of you. But didn't they win with the 2004 group? No, because if you would have come in 0405, 0506, 0607, 0708, you just left UConn with no championships. Oh, no. I hate it for them. Who's that? Now we got to find out. I mean, I know that class, but I ain't calling out no names. I don't know what you think this is. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, we just we just somehow had, had all these teammates of Renee's catching strays. That's what just happened. Right. 
and you see, and that's why it's like, why, like the UConn standard is brutal in a sense of like, you could have made four final fours. And for some programs, that's history. Like you come through and you make yeah. some final fours, you make a mm-hmm. sweet 16, elite eight. You're doing good for yourself. The bonuses are flying for the coaches. But at UConn, that class could have literally been elite eight, elite eight, final four, final four. And it's like, yeah, point them out. Who didn't win a championship? Like, look at this standard. Oh, man. Can't believe you did that. There are three freshmen on that team, the 0405 team. Oh, Lord. I just saw the names pop up in the chat. Unless they redshirted. <laughs> Renee's asking Maze to, to bleep out like the, this whole entire segment. She's like, we can't have names out here. Yeah, I'm like, my poor teammates, because, you know, it's, look, look. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the details are flying, but that's all I, that's an ode to UConn, though. Honestly, like, if you can pick out the group that didn't win a championship as a part of the trivia, Think about that. So it's not even a slight. I mean, that's that's kind of crazy. We're going to save Tom's trivia. <laughs> it is wild to think about. Out and about in life, it's like, hey, oh, did you play? Oh, I play ball. Where? You call? Oh, wow. What's it like winning all them championships? And like, ah. That's the first question I get. <laughs> when I even say one, people be like, one? Well, like, yeah, I'm proud of that one. What's up? Like, people really be, when I say one, they really be coming at me like, so wait, what happened? Like, you only won one? I thought y'all won like four years in a row. I was like, my senior year started the streak. So that's just how I have to put it in context. Like, yeah, we went undefeated my senior year, and then UConn didn't even lose a game for like three years after that. So, yeah, that's a UConn reality. You laid down the foundation. Oh, well, I'm not saying that. I was happy just to get a championship. <laughs> what you mean? I was just happy for my one. That's what I would say. I'd be like, hey, hey, you like that run that we had as a program? Yeah, I started that shit. It was, it was 2009. We won that championship. Listen, that's Tom talking. I would never say that. Okay. I was like so relieved and hype. I was like, oh, I was crying tears Yeesh. of joy. You only get four chances in college. Like, I was crying tears of joy on my way out. At some point, you got to ask yourself, can I red shirt and come back next year just to make sure? <laughs> just to confirm. Just to be sure. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I actually thought about this with the Hawks. Uh-huh. The Pat Riley disease of me. They go on a run, mm-hmm. the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference. They become a national story against the Knicks. Then they beat the Sixers in seven games. The whole Ben Simmons mm-hmm. thing. They go on to to give the Bucks like a real a real series. And I was thinking to myself, like, is Trey Young going to have the disease of me this year? Is is it, John are, is John Collins, Clint Capella, like all these teammates, are they going to feel like Ooh. Pat Riley, the max, the the whole idea of disease yeah. of me is essentially when the Lakers and Pat Riley won the championship and tried to repeat the next year, he saw that there is the disease of me. It's essentially whenever you win as a team, the hardest part in the NBA is to sustain that without people feeling like they want a larger share of the pie of credit. So here are the six danger signals, according to Pat Riley, of the disease of me. One, chronic feelings of underappreciation. Two, Paranoia over being cheated out of one's rightful share. Three, leadership vacuum resulting from formation of cliques and rivalries. Four, feelings of frustration even when the team performs successfully. Five, personal effort mustered solely to outshine one's teammate. And six, resentment of the competence of another. All of that wrapped into the disease of me. And I was wondering, Renee, because you left on a championship at UConn, and you didn't have to fight that disease of me of coming back and defending that title. I do think that this applies to teams that overachieve, like the Atlanta Hawks last year. Do you see any of those signals 
those danger, like cautionary tales or any warning signs from this Atlanta Hawks team where coming out of the gates, it was a little bit of like, ooh, ooh, are people getting a little too excited about their individual performance and getting the credit rather than focusing on taking that next step as an organization, as a team? You know, it's interesting because kind of what I was talking about, even when you go into the offseason, I don't necessarily think we had the disease of me, but if you go to the offseason and you putting in work every day and you feel like you develop something in your bag, like, oh, I got something I'm going to hit them with. I don't even necessarily know if that's the disease of me or you're trying to expand your game. And so when we had what we had was a team that. I don't even know if I would say overachieved, but I would say peaked at the right time. You know, we had a coaching change. You don't have to be diplomatic. But, but on this. this is the thing. So if we overachieved, think about the people we didn't have that had gotten hurt during our stretch. You know what I mean? I think we overachieved. Yes, but. We consistently did it. And they something to that, like in sports that I talk about is like, if you can repeat it, you meant it. So it's not that we were like, we were playing against a team that had Ben Simmons, a team mm-hmm. that had Joel Embiid, but it wasn't like, like we battled them out, but it wasn't like we, I don't know. I felt like we could, if we played them again this year, we could do it again. But so to me, it's not overachieving. If I feel like if we have our horses and we meet those same teams again, we would do it again and we could do it again and we can do it again. But to that point, I get it. Like New York Knicks, Atlanta Hawks, we went on a crazy run towards the end of the season. That's why when you come back the next season, people are going to be asking questions like what Tom's asking if you don't do it right away. And so I think that's what they need to understand. People don't believe when you do something one time. So one season doesn't make you guys like the Eastern Conference finals every year. Right. And I think that's the the hard that's the hard part. It's like you got the grind, you got the talent. But do you have that mentality that'll have you hungry to be that every night? I always used to think about it in the terms of in every playoff series, obviously there's a favorite and there's an underdog. If we played the series a hundred times, how much would the favorite win? How much would the underdog win? And in some cases, it's not that much. It's like 60-40. In other cases, it's like 80-20. But the idea is like, what needs to happen? So I was always go back to 2010 for us as sons, and we were playing the Lakers. We knew they were better than us. They're defending champs. Uh, you know, they, they were bigger than us. Uh, they had all the things on their side. But we were like, if we can get this, this, and this to happen, we're going to beat them. And it's like, we got like two and a half of them shits to happen. Mm. And, and like, we're almost there. And then like, uh-huh. the reason why they're the favorites kicked in, like they... They, they got a, a big offensive rebound, won a game five as a result of that. And then game six, we had them on the ropes. They had the best player on either one of those our teams, hit uh, two shots at the end, and that's it. Yeah, You see what I'm saying? So it's like I look at Atlanta being Philly, and I don't say, oh, that was a fluke. Oh, y'all got lucky. I knew there was a set of circumstances that y'all needed to make happen, and you got it to happen, and as a result, you won that series. But like before the series, and this is Googleable, everybody's asking my like predictions and this and that. Basketball is a game of matchups. And so if you watch basketball and you watch the X and O's of basketball, like if you watch both the teams, mm-hmm. I can tell you kind of, you can kind of see what matchups are going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. I don't care what the team's ranking is. This is how you see upsets coming a mile away. Like, yeah, this guy does this, but everybody thought that, Ben Simmons was going to neutralize a Trey Young or everybody thought that size was going to mm-hmm. <clears throat> what they didn't account for was 
matchups matter. And people haven't been able to neutralize Trey off top. Like everybody thought they would. Like they thought, hey, let's trap him. Like we've seen it all. Trey gets trapped at half court. Trey gets trapped off of every pick and roll. But then you spend so much trapping Trey that we get Lob City. You trapping Trey and now Bogey getting threes. Everybody getting hot. And then Trey, once you get out of that same defense, Trey gets hot. Everybody had the same exact idea on Trey. And I'm like, these matchups is like crazy because that's not going to work. So that that's what I think. Like, I mean, I was talking about it a lot. Everybody's like, no, but Philly. And then every time we moved on, no, but New York. And uh, yeah. no, it's, Renee's called, got receipts. it's called matchups. <laughs> it's called matchups. Like, and so and look, there's certain matchups where I was like, oh, you know, it's not looking good for us on this one. But I do think that like when you look at that 60-40 and those are large sample sizes, I think that matchups, like when you talk about basketball, like matchups matter in sports always. In pros. So, I mean, are you like a white noise sleeper? Do you need like city noise? Do you need someone talking to you as you sleep? Every night when I go to bed, I put on a DC movie. Maybe it's uh, Suicide Squad. <laughs> Maybe it's the Batman with Robert Pattinson. But I need something extremely boring to put me to bed. Wow. I can't believe you would do that to them. I hate hard with a mean right there. There goes our sponsorship. For me, I do like the rain white noise. Uh-huh. Not just the white noise, because white noise we do for the kids, the toddlers. But I have so prioritized sleep because after doing all of these science articles on the power of sleep, and that's when you like build up all of your memory, your testosterone, like all of these hormones and all these if you're if you're working out, if you're running. You need sleep. LeBron James famously is like a big sleeper. I'm always curious when he's watching the late game. Not very often. Because you know what makes LeBron James King James, I mean? Crown. (laughs) He might wear a crown while he sleeps. But it's sleep. It's those Zs. It's catching those Zs. It's catching those flies. That's right. Sleep is his superpower. And Calm is the number one app for sleep and meditation. Calm has teamed up with LeBron James to help you activate the power of sleep. And I've tried it before, and man, it does help. You know what also helps is a really boring book. I get through like five pages now. My buddy, Kevin, told me, read in the morning, not at night. And I was like, I get it, but it also helps me put to sleep. The Calm app also helps. Here's what you do. Start reading in the morning. Start using the Calm app at night. Ah, yes. LeBron and Calm know one thing. Your mind is like any other muscle in your body. But you don't have to be a world champion to learn how to train it. Calm can help you train your brain so you sleep better, you reduce your stress, and perform at your best, just like King James. You know, you always think that the idea is you just got to power through. You got to grind all night. Nah, that stuff is like the 1990s. That's the Oscar Robinson days, right, me? Did I say Robinson? Havlicek. Never slept. Never slept. Just powered through. Didn't believe in the power of sleep. For LeBron, sleep is a critical part of his mental fitness routine. As he says, quote, getting good sleep and finding time to rest is one of the most valuable things I can do for my body and mind. From the sound of rain falling on leaves to bedtime sleep stories, calm puts me to sleep within minutes. That's right, LeBron. I'm right there with you, which means I wake up ready for any challenge, unquote. So if you head to calm.com, that's C-A-L-M dot C-O-M slash Habershow, not Haberstrow, Habershow, H-A-B as in boy, E-R-S-H-O-W. For a limited time, I mean, you'll not get 10%. No. You'll not get 20%. No. Not even 30%, I mean. 32%? Nope. Oh, 
that's the big number. 40%. That is the same. Steph Curry shooting from 28 feet or beyond. 40% off a Calm premium subscription. With Calm, you have access to the nature scenes that LeBron loves, like those rain on the leaves. And so much more, like sleep stories, meditations, all so you can be ready for the challenges that life throws your way. I mean... For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron James. Yes, that LeBron James in using Calm and get a 40% discount. That's right. I didn't believe it either. 40% discount on a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash Habershow. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com slash Habershow. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash H-A-B-E-R-S-H-O-W. Renee Montgomery, Charleston, West Virginia, stand up. West Virginia, I want to get this Tom's trivia in before we let Renee go here because look, West Virginia is the 40th most populous state in the country, but it produces some of the greatest basketball players Ever, right? Renee okay. herself is 22nd all time in the W assist category. And in fact, of the top 100 career assist leaders in the NBA history, not one, not two, not three, but four all time distributors were born in the Mountain State, West Virginia. Talk about it, Tom. Oh, I didn't know what kind of party it was about to be. Let's go. <laughs> Who are the four top 100 West Virginia natives? In all-time career assists, there's four of them in the top 100 NBA born in West Virginia. There's one off the rip that's easy. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Let Renee roll. Let's go. Jason Williams has to be up there. White chocolate, baby. Number 86 all-time. The pride and joy of Bell, West Virginia? Yes, that's correct. Uh, Let's go a little Jerry West logo. Let's see how he's been dropping some dimes. Number 32. There it is. All right, now it's going to get a little fugazi. There's someone above him. There's someone above him. Someone above him. Wow. There's someone above him. I would just say, uh, let's see. Would Deron Williams count? I don't know where he's from. That does count. Yes. Does he count? Does he count? Okay, that's what's up. Darren Williams from Parkersburg, West Virginia. His parents both went to West Liberty State in West Liberty, which is kind of, of, uh, what is that, outside of... Wheeling? Wheeling, West Virginia? Oh, Wheeling. I've been to Wheeling. Come on, Tom, with the with the facts. And the last one, I'm ashamed to say I don't think I know. Like, I do know that M- Coach Mike Dan and Tony uh, has, like, connections here, but yeah. I don't know if he was dropping dimes. So I'm just be honest, but he's the other one that I know. Um, he co- it's, uh, well, he used to hoop, but I don't know. Mike Dan Tony from Mullins, West Virginia, by the way. Okay, okay. I mean, do you know who the fourth is? If it's not Mike D'Antoni, I have a guess, but I don't know if this dude played long enough. Is it Ovinton J. Anthony Mayo? <laughs> no. Are you talking about OJ Mayo? Juice? Is it? Is it? No. He's not no, I'm going to say, I don't think OJ was in there long enough, but he popped in my mind. That's why I said I'm... I'm I'm stumped on this fourth it's not one. Mike D'Antoni's not. Oh, is it Rod Thorne? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. All right. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Top 75 player, 75th anniversary team member. Oh, man. Went to Marshall back in the day uh, from Huntington, West Virginia. Hal Greer? Hal Greer. Oh, Ooh, shit. man. Yeah. See, that's, that's, Y'all see man, that's my that, bad. Come right? on, my Hal. That's here. my bad. That's, Goodness. 
Darren Williams was the hardest one. I didn't know if he would count. I would never get him. Yeah, I didn't know if he would count because didn't he move around in his high school He's a high Dallas year, guy. I think. He's a Texas guy. Yeah, see, that's guy. what I... Mm. Listen, when you're from West Virginia, though, you typically know people that even have any connection. Like, shouts to Steve Harvey. He got connections in West Virginia, <laughs> lived here for a while. So we're not New York where we got a list that's, like, longer than ever. We know. Renee, my cousin went to college at Fairmont. And so I remember I went to West Virginia like twice when he was in college to go visit. <laughs> How was that? I, it was, you know what? I liked it. It was funny. Okay. We went all Talk the way, about it. We went up and down the state. We went to, we, we started Wheeling, Fairmont. We went to wherever uh, West Virginia is. What's it called? Morgantown? Morgantown, Morgantown WU. Then Charleston. I've been to Huntington. My stomping ground. Like I've been all around. And I was like, you know what, man? I, like on a weird level, I fucks with it. Now it's I you know what? I get this quite often. Yes, there's the other things. Yes. But I people that's kind of came through West Virginia, they always be like, oh, it wasn't that bad. It's not that bad. Shouts yes. to Randy Moss, because when we're talking about West Virginia, we yeah, gotta got shout to. out Randy Moss and my best friend Lisa Lee, who has her stuff retired at the University of Charleston. So yeah, that's that's kind of like we know our people. We don't we don't have the long list, so we know our people. Shouts to Alexis Hornbuckle. We know our people. <laughs> Damn. Y'all do have a list. What's going on here? We got, we ate. You know what I'm saying? We, we're small but mighty. That's okay. So it's funny though, because when we hear other people talk about West Virginia, they would never, you know, they might get a Randy Moss. I don't even think very many people know Jerry West, honestly. They know he's the logo, but I don't know if they know. They got the statue outside the stadium. Come on. I mean, did, did Mike D'Antoni rep, did he cape for West Virginia? Like, fuck yeah. Yeah. First time I met Mike D'Antoni, I was like, oh, my, my cousin. Went to with the college at Fairmont. He's like, that ain't West Virginia. That's South Pennsylvania. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, he repping like that. Yeah, he like if you're not deep, if you're not Charleston or or we ain't here. In, what's the name of the 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 golf course with Greenbrier or Green yeah. uh, Green this, yeah Greenbrier yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah there, so there's that. Oh, there's, there's the Renee. There's uh, there's that. Yeah. There. So there's that. But yeah, we ain't here. You know, Charleston. Mm. I went to South Charleston High and Cap. So yeah, I'm 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 here. Three hundred four. What's up? WVU couldn't. They couldn't make an offer. You couldn't refuse. They was on my top five. You know, they was on the. You list. just being nice, right? Like when you get yeah. an offer from UConn, you <laughs> don't even say just top being two. Nice. She just said top five. Yeah. Yeah, I think everybody knew my top two was Maryland and UConn. It was kind of publicized, but they was in the top five because, I mean, not for nothing, West Virginia got some crazy fans. Like, it's a, it's an environment there over there. You know, they will burn a couch in a hurry, okay? You got to be not, you got to at least keep them in the running, right? Like, just just got for to. appearances. Oh, man. Stop, because I see what you're doing. <laughs> Listen, you said it twice. I heard you the first time. I said they was in my top five. There were some vibes She's there. She's just trying to go home, I mean. Like, you can't be doing it. She, <laughs> she is already home. You know when she said that? I'm literally in West Virginia recording this, and you trying to get me in trouble. Yeah. I, you heard him say, I'm you just, just got to keep it on the list. There's an NBA player who shall remain nameless, who had, uh-huh. during his recruiting, they had a menu. His family had a menu for the recruiters. Like, you want us to mention you? Just like, oh, we're thinking about it. It costs this much. You want to be? You want him to do an actual <laughs> campus visit? It costs this much. You want to be in one of the top five? It costs this much. Now, if you actually want to get him to play there, this is the minimum bit. You got to bring the bag out. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. They had him. Stop snitching. <laughs> I'm not. I was I making sure I was getting confirmation before. Stop snitching out here. I didn't say the name. 
I've said the name before, but I ain't gonna say it again. I mean, I think that's pretty understood. Now, now with name, image, and likeness, we ain't got to worry about that no more. But I think that was an understood reality, especially in men's sports, more so than women's sports, because the bags was flying around. Booster bags, alumni bags, bags for everybody, yeah. I'm gonna send you out on this one. I heard it ain't just men's sports. Okay, bye. I'll be out of here. I'll see you later. It was great, you guys. I'll see y'all soon. Happy Thanksgiving, Renee. West Virginia. Mountain Mama. Take me home. Country roads. Renee had the Uber Eats menu. <laughs> like, oh, so. Oh, okay. Stop snitching. Hey, Renee, uh, enjoy tomorrow. Enjoy family. And we'll talk to you soon, okay? Happy Thanksgiving. Happy holidays, guys. I was just going to ask you, what's the Thanksgiving food that you look forward to most in your family Thanksgiving? Because me, I was watching Reggie Jackson yesterday talking at his post-game press conference, asking the media, all the reporters, what their favorite go-to Thanksgiving mm-hmm. item on the plate. And I was thinking about it for myself, and I got to admit, and my mom would be the first to admit this too, I come from a very unseasoned household. Whoa. Okay. So, like, she's not the best cook. She's not getting mistaken for Kristen Kish out here. Who's Kristen Kish? Or Brooke Williamson. Who's Brooke Williamson? These are all top chef winners. Okay. Okay. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Knives out. (laughs) Shouts to the Pack Your Knives podcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts, if you're a big top chef fan, or you just want to watch a reality show and follow along like it's a sport, Kevin Arnovitz and I do a Pack Your Knives top chef recap podcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts, ascertain the best food on the plate. Anyway, Amin. What is the thing you're looking forward to most on Thanksgiving? Obviously, I didn't grow up with Thanksgiving being a big part of my household. Uh, we do it a little bit more now for my kids' sake, just so that they feel the stuff. But uh, for me, if I'm talking about Thanksgiving dishes in general, uh, I feel really bad when people say, oh, I hate turkey. It's so dry. I'm like, well, then you, you're getting bad turkey because when you get good turkey, Good, juicy turkey that's well done. Oh, my God. Not well done, like cooked well done, but like well prepared. Successfully prepared. Yes. There's nothing like it. So I'm a big fan of turkey, and I'm a really big fan of dressing or stuffing. I don't know what's the difference. It seems like they're interchangeable names for the same thing, but I'm a huge fan of some good stuffing. Give me turkey and stuffing, and literally, I'm happy. Everything else, I'm I'm okay on. I like I like the mac and cheese. I like the mashed potatoes. I like the cranberry sauce, but oof, stuffing? Yeah. I feel like there's two Americas here because I never had mac and cheese growing up at Thanksgiving. Really? You never mm. the baked mac and cheese in the tinfoil thing? Not for Thanksgiving. Wow. Maze? I don't think I had it as a kid. It's a staple for me now. I, I'm good with a mean taking turkey and stuffing off the board. He can have them. You can have as much as you want. What is a well-cooked turkey to you, Mean? What does that mean? It's juicy. It's not Christmas vacation turkey where you, you, you slice it open and poof. Yeah, you, you don't need like a, a gallon of gravy on it just to moisten it up. But the skin, 
because I don't give a fuck. People are like, oh, the skin has so many calories. Like, yeah, give me the skin. Nice and crispy. Get that little crunch. And then underneath that explosion of flavor from the turkey. This might be a Zach Harper controversial take here. Uh, might be a technicality, but I would say my favorite item on the Thanksgiving plate is gravy. It's the absolute glue guy. It brings everything together. You can put gravy on your turkey, your mashed potatoes, yep. sure. your rolls, sure. your green beans, your Brussels sprouts. I'm most upset if I sit down at the table, Maze, and there's no gravy at the table on my Thanksgiving meal. I'm, I'm most upset about that than even if they were like, oh, we're not doing turkey this year. I think about gravy the same way I think about steak sauce. If I have to turn to you, it means something has gone wrong here. Now, if something's gone wrong, the gravy, I'm glad. Oh, yeah, you are saving it. You are absolutely all those things you guys just said. But to me, the ideal meal doesn't even need the gravy. It's just there if you want it. But it should be able to elevate it. I see what you're saying, that sometimes you're masking. He's saying it's a crutch. Some mistakes and that you're just putting the gravy on it and then the gravy's doing the work. But I think you can mm -hmm. elevate just about everything on the plate. And I think it's an essential part. One year, my aunt... Didn't even fuck it up that bad, but said she fucked up the gravy and then brought it up every year at Thanksgiving about how, you remember that time I fucked up the gravy? That was such a nightmare. It's like, well, we had kind of moved on from it, but yeah, it needed to be better. Wow. What's the worst Thanksgiving conversation you've ever had? Twitter is always on fire this time of year with like, and then my cousin came out to everybody and introduced his friend as his, like, it's always like some weird, huge Christmas movie type debacle that's happening. And then my mom called my aunt a hoe or whatever. Like I've never witnessed, again, we didn't really grow up with a whole lot of this stuff. So all of my Thanksgiving meals have been fairly mundane. Uh, have you guys ever had one of those uncomfortable conversations? It's not Thanksgiving, but can I squeeze in the, the Christmas day conversation in here? Yeah, why not? Shit. A few years ago, my grandfather, who is 91 years old, we called him for Merry Christmas phone call and everyone's, you know, we put him on speaker and, um, you know, my, my grandmother passed away like 10 years before this. And, uh, so my mom is like, Hey dad, how's your, how's your, how's your Christmas going? He's oh, it's great. You know, having a great time. Da, da, da. It's a beautiful day here. And you know, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Oh, and I have some news for you. Oh, my mom's like, Oh, what? He says, uh, I proposed to uh, Marguerite this morning. Okay. And my mom was like, what? And he decided, my grandfather decided to propose to his like girlfriend at 91 years old, the lady across the hallway, and just totally blew my mom's mind. Like that, it was just like my mom's jaw just dropped and it was like, wait, hold up. What just happened here? And so for the entire rest of our Christmas, we were like trying to wrap our heads around that we're like, are we going to a wedding? What does it look like for a 92 year old uh, to get married? And so it was a total blindside and we were like happy, oh. but we were also like, whoa, what? You know what was funny? I literally thought he was like being senile and he was remembering. No. Proposing to your, to your grandmother all those years past. No. He found someone new. He found someone new. And we kind of had known that Marguerite, the sweetheart that he, he had met, that they were like seeing each other from across the hallway, you know, all this stuff. So this is some retirement home romance that we've got going here. Hell yeah. And maybe there is no better romance than retirement home romance. You can imagine. <laughs> 
So my mom and our family was just a little bl- blindsided by that one at the Christmas. I mean, you know, it was we, we thought it was just going to be, you know, some pleasantries, ma- Merry Christmas. And then it was just the entire rest of the day was like, yo, granddad got got engaged. Oh, my God. So it was wild. That was a wild Christmas that day. Do you have any others like uh, Thanksgiving? You have Thanksgiving awkwardness? I don't have any. So. My Thanksgiving dinners have always been pretty small. It's not like you get the extended family or the the drunk uncle that only shows up once a year or anything like that. Definitely just my aunt talking about how she fucked the gravy up four years ago <laughs> is pretty much the most awkward it gets. Well, you know what? Because she felt bad because that's the best that's the best food item on the on Thanksgiving. It was fine. It's a cardinal sin. Henry, you did fine. Wherever you are, let it go. <laughs> Question. Have you guys ever been to a Friendsgiving? Yeah, those have really gotten way more popular in the last five to ten years. Never heard of the the term until the Thanksgiving before COVID. So what, 2019? Friendsgiving, to me, if it's on Thanksgiving and it's people who can't go home for the holidays for whatever reason, that makes sense. But what happens is, is that now you get into Thanksgiving season and you have a Friendsgiving the weekend before you yeah friendsgiving the weekend after and it's just like i don't need that much turkey especially if everybody's gonna try to do a turkey don't do that shit it's like the gender reveals of thanksgiving yes like all of this is all this is in the last three years like i'm discovering these things and i and my first and pretty much my only reaction is why do we need that why oh it's a boy all right cool we just can't let everything happen one time anymore we got to do it as much as possible This is what I don't get about gender reveals. And if you're out there listening to this and you've done them before, I'm sorry. But whenever people get super excited over a gender reveal, like whenever it comes out blue or pink and they just like flip out, I'm like, yo, what if it was pink or blue the other way? You know, like the idea of like getting like super excited. Oh, my God, it's a boy. Yay. And they're hugging and like, like all that. All I can think about is that you really didn't want a girl. Tom just wants the blooper reel of the disappointed parents out there that got the wrong gender reveal. Shots to Gordon Hayward. Whoa, it's a girl. Whoa. You want a girl? Bernie, you were right. Is daddy happy? Daddy's always happy. That's my thing is like, whenever you go overly excited about like, oh, it's a girl or oh my God, it's a boy. I just feel bad about the idea of like, what if it was like, obviously you you were wanting it a certain way. And that feels wrong to me. It's like, it, I don't know, gender reveals that's all, always in my head is when they get super excited and then it just makes me feel like they didn't want that up. Fair? That's how I feel when the turkey comes out. I mean, the season has started, sports betting, trying to think of how to take advantage of some of these early fluctuations in the score. Are the Bulls really this good? Warriors really this good? And should we really be burying some teams that are starting out with a little bit of a rough start? Well, some people aren't really into betting yet, but I'm telling you, it adds so much more to the watching experience. So fun. If you want to get deeper into this stuff, get smarter about betting on sports or just the NBA, you got to get on with the daily tip. Just to see how it feels, Tom, you got to understand that when you're out there with action on the game, it can make what would be a boring game absolutely amazing. Think about this. What if the line on this game I'm watching right now was 
12 and a half points, right? Yep. It's a 14 point game under a minute to go. Most people would say, boring, turn it off. But if I got action on the game, I'm watching every last second because I need to see if someone's going to hit that last minute shot that takes it from 14 to 11 and makes me from a loser into a winner. So the Daily Tip is a podcast that gives you kind of some insights, some edge, make you smarter about betting and just the betting experience. You learn some things. The hosts, Michael Jenkins and Chelsea Messenger, they break down the big takeaways and make sure you know everything you need to get smarter and feel like you know what's going to happen. With featured guests like bookmakers, Odyssey insiders and bet MGM experts, you always feel like you got a fresh take on the action. And your friends, your buddies at the bar or in your group chat, you know what they're going to be thinking? Where'd you get that information from? Where'd you get that? It's from the Daily Tip. Feel like you're an insider, that you know the ins and outs of sports betting. And you know what? You're right, I mean, Watching the game on a Tuesday night, the game's a blowout, but there's always an angle that you can figure out a way to get in on the action. So as much fun as it is to bet on the game, it's even more fun when you got the inside scoop and listen to Michael and Chelsea. If you're ready to bet with an edge, tune into the Daily Tip presented by BetMGM. Listen weekdays in the morning from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Eastern on Odyssey, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.